Du lytter nu til Musikpedpodden. Dette er en podcast som tar upp aktuelle tema i det musikpedagogiske forskningsfeltet. Hej och välkommen till dagens episode av Musikpedpodden. I dag och i nästa gång ska den föregå på engelsk och vi ska ha internationella gäster, så därmed så slår jag om till engelsk. Welcome to Musikpedpodden, a podcast about music education research from the Western Norway University of Applied Sciences. My name is Katarina Kristoffersen. I am professor of music education and I am one of the editors of this podcast. I was the project leader and principal investigator of a research project that finished last year that was called Future Ed, which is short for Music Teacher Education for the Future. This podcast, Musikped Podden, originated from the Future Ed project. In several episodes this first season, we've talked about methodological and theoretical approaches in the project, as well as selected findings. The episodes so far have been held in Norwegian, but today's episode is the first of two special episodes in English at the end of this first season. In these episodes, we will introduce and discuss some selected aspects of our research to an international audience. And my guests today are Judy Lewis and Ava Kenny. Welcome. We are happy to have you here. Could you perhaps briefly introduce yourselves to our audience? Perhaps Judy would like to start? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm happy to be here as well. Uh, my name is Judy Lewis, and I'm assistant professor of music education at the Crane School of Music at the State University of New York. It's in Potsdam, New York. Um, my main research interests lie in the area of music education and marginalized youths, um, which dovetails with issues of social justice in music education, and also digital and social media's impact and role in the contemporary music classroom, and in general, the changing definitions of musical literacy in our contemporary and digitized and socially mediated reality. Um, currently, I'm working on a book which um, explores that second interest, which are new literacies that need to be incorporated into contemporary music classrooms beyond those literacies that are rooted in the more traditional classical canon. And, and if we're um, looking at it honestly, literacies that our students are developing outside of school without our help. Um, and I'm also designing a brand new online master's degree in music education for the school of music that I teach at, and I'm extremely excited about doing that work. Wonderful. That's exciting. How about you, Alva? Um, hello. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I'm an associate professor of music education at Mary Immaculate College, University of Limerick in Ireland. Um, my research interests lie in examining musical communities in particular um, and how they create spaces that are both social and musical. Um, I'm particularly interested in looking at those spaces in very diverse contexts um, and amongst very um, marginalized migrant um, communities. As well as that, another significant research interest over the years has been on teacher-artist partnerships. So this is where um, you have, for instance, musicians who go into formal educational settings. Uh, currently, I'm um, a principal investigator on a project that's looking at the role of music in very diverse schools, um, and in particular looking at um, how music functions within schools for children and young people from an asylum-seeking or refugee background. Okay, so marginalized is a key word here. I hear from both of your stories, actually. 
So um, I've asked the two of you to join me here today since you both know the Future Ed project quite well. But before we get into your involvement with the project, it's necessary, I think, to say something about the project, just so that our international listeners understand the context for our conversation here today. So briefly, the Future Ed project was a three-year research project that was funded by the Norwegian Research Council. And um, the project was owned by my university, the Western Norway University of Applied Sciences, but we also collaborated with researchers from the Oslo Metropolitan University. And the purpose of the project was to critically discuss the current educational situation in generalist teacher education music programs in Norway, to develop new teaching approaches and to propose new directions for music teacher education. The project was normative, meaning it was founded on several normative claims that was clearly inspired by social justice and critical pedagogy approaches. Um, Student perspectives were important throughout the whole project and action research methods were a major part of it. While the project is now officially finished, uh, there's still some ongoing work with publications in a few of the sub-studies. We have published a lot from this project and there is more to come. And if our listeners would like to know more about the project, I suggest you check out our project website where you can read more about the project, the sub-studies, the researchers, and you can also find links to our publications there. So how do you find our website? If you Google Music Teacher Education for the Future or Future Ed, F-U-T-U-R-E-D, possibly you could also add 2019 to your search, then our project website should be your top search result. So over to our guests again, Alva and Judy. We've been working together for three years in this project from 2019 and to 2022. Um, But I can remember when I was notified about the funding in late 2018, um, and I have to say I was flabbergasted. I just couldn't believe uh, that an action research project was funded at the time. So interestingly, it seems to me now that there has been an increasing emphasis on participatory research methods in education and music education over the last few years. So I was just wondering, is that just my imagination or have you seen it too? I was not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's been a a general shift in thinking in the last number of years. um, And it's been something that's been coming for a while in really thinking beyond research on communities or research on schools to research with, with schools and with communities. Um, And a lot of that has to do with um, bridging a a kind of a divide between theory and practice, but equally bridging a divide between um, universities seen as, as being within ivory towers and in trying to kind of bridge that gap on what research is and trying to redefine what research can look like and what it can be like. And of course, it's also about inclusion, because um, if you really want to capture the, the, the you know, in-depth understandings of what's happening, really, you need to make sure that people's voices are heard and not just heard in a way that's interpreted through a researcher, but actually heard in a very meaningful way and that people are actively involved in a research process. Um, So it's not that surprising to me that we've come to this point now where participatory research methods are actually privileged now in a lot of projects that are funded. Um, And in fact, projects without that 
would be seen as somehow missing something or or if they're not going to include participatory methods, there would be a lot of questions asked about, well, how are you going to capture the voices of this community you're looking at? So I think Future Ed um, was was ahead of the curve on this one in, in really deciding not just to include participatory research methods, but to privilege them. Um, so it's one thing including them, but it's another thing to put it as the top of the agenda. Um, so that in itself was a very interesting aspect of the project. Yeah. I would, I would, sorry, Judy. I would agree with every, I would agree with everything that Alva said. Um, I think it, it does speak to this great divide that we ourselves as researchers created. Um, I think it also, I mean, not to go over all the things that Alva said, which I, I think are directly to the point. I think it also might be a reflection of the fact that in schools themselves, there has been a great push and a, and a renewed or maybe a new focus on equity and inclusion within the space of education. And um, it's uh, perhaps it has seeped out um, into those people like ourselves, researchers, who want to better understand and and help impact change in those spaces. The idea that those spaces already imbibe a, a focus on inclusion and equity. And so kind of that push in the work that we do as well. And you see it also in the, in the ways, like Alva said, the ways that we are now um, understanding our our perhaps more honest and and um, deep understandings of other people's lived experiences, narrative research, which is something that, that um, it, you know, it's been around for decades, but it's only really come on the fore um, front of research over, you know, the last couple of years. The idea that if you want to understand people's realities, we need to hear their stories. They need to be participants in in our understanding, not just like Alva said, not just us observing and then interpreting. Yeah, so um, obviously it wasn't just my imagination. So uh, no. <laughs> we sort of established that this is a, this is a trend and, uh, yes. and we were... Um, Lucky with the timing in the future ed project, actually, to be to be almost ahead of the curve, so to speak. Uh, but the two of you, you've been involved in the project from the beginning as guest researchers. And um, I have to say that you were not the only ones. We had a total of five guest researchers involved in this project. And um, listeners may wonder why we involved guest researchers and what a guest researcher does. And I can say from my side of it is that involving guest researcher is, is to... Um, um, it's important to benefit from their highly specialized expertise and insights as well as the international perspectives that they could bring to the project. So that w that's my thinking about it. But perhaps you could tell us more about what were your roles and how did you contribute to the project? How would you, uh, who would you like to start? I'll start. Judy, start. Um, so... In fact, before the re the Future Ed Research Project started, I had had um, um, quite a bit of experience using participatory action research in my own research studies. It pretty much is my go-to um, methodology. So 
Um, because of that, I was able to help initially designing the research methods that were used in the study that I participated in. And since participatory action research is an iterative methodology, meaning that the analysis is ongoing and then immediately influences the next steps that we take as researchers. So I was also part of those brainstorming sessions along the way where we tried to understand what had just happened and therefore how we should use that to decide what should happen next. And then finally, I helped with the final data analysis, which in our case, the two main researchers who were in the field um, wrote narrative summaries of particular, um, particularly powerful events that happened during the study. And then I and one other external researcher um, analyzed those stories and commented on them, um, which we all then as a group wrote up and submitted as an article, which was subsequently published. So was your role different from Judy's, Ava? Um, no, I mean, similarly, as a guest researcher, you know, I was involved in um, providing an external perspective on things like fieldwork data. Um, there was co-writing projects, um, obviously academic discussions through seminars, conferences. Um, but for me, um, you know, this is this is one of the best things about being an academic. So I, I get immense um, stimulation from academic exchange, from international collaborations. You know, I, I, I can't, and maybe it's because I live on a small island, perhaps, but I need, I need to look outwards um, in order to feed um, me intellectually, but also to push my own work um, in new directions and to kind of find fertile ground for new ideas. So for me, being a guest researcher on this project was a wonderful opportunity to do that, um, to discuss really what I see as really cutting edge issues um, in, in music education and music teacher education. Um, and, and the project did exactly that. And, and I think the fact that there were so many guest researchers on it also pointed to the fact that um, a Norwegian project also wanted to look outwards, also didn't want to be thinking about their work and their findings in very insular ways. And another important aspect, of course, a role of a guest researcher is to help with dissemination. And I, mean, I don't think we should dismiss that aspect because the more people that know about the project, the better. You know, there's a danger when you're only looking at one country um, within any project is that only people within that country are listening. Whereas by involving guest researchers, you immediately have a network of people who know the project in deep ways, not just in superficial ways. And they go on to spread and disseminate um, about the work. And of course, it influences their own work in all sorts of ways. So, you know, there's this very much a reciprocal process that happens um, you know, th that the project benefits from a guest researcher, but equally the guest researcher benefits too. Uh, well put, Alba. Um, I was just uh, thinking about picking up on something you said, uh, because we um, want to move into to say something more about the content of the project, the findings and so on, because in a big uh, research project, there are many questions, many studies, many approaches, many findings. And um, over the last few months, we have shared many insights from the project with our Norwegian and Scandinavian listeners in previous episodes. But today, uh, we're trying to say something about the project and, and the findings in English. But um, instead of 
trying to cover a lot of ground because it would be impossible to say to to cover everything in one single episode. Um, I have asked the two of you to highlight some of the insights that you have found to be significant from the project. So my question for you then is, um, what are your favorite findings or your main takeaway from this project? Perhaps Judy would like to start. Right. Um, well, <clears throat> excuse me. There, there, um, there were so many different, like Alva said, because of the multiple perspectives from all of the different, um, both Norwegian researchers, Scandinavian researchers, and and external researchers. So many varied perspectives um, that the the findings. You know, if you ask me, what were your favorite findings? There were so many. There were so many, um, like epiphany moments where, um, where we thought, oh my goodness, I was not expecting that. Um, but the one that stands out most to me, I would say, um, and the one, the one that I continue to think about both in my own work and in particular, um, reforms that are happening now in, in the United States and specifically in the school I teach at, um, is that it really stood out to me, our discovery of how teachers and students can actually be obstacles to change, even while they're professing a desire for change to happen. Um, I think we as teacher educators often um, point the finger because it's easiest. For example, at larger structures within which we work, um, like a prescribed curriculum or national directives that may go against our own ways of thinking or our own values. And certainly the larger systemic issues do and can impede change in a variety of ways. But what we saw in the study I was involved in was that the teacher educators and the students themselves unwittingly um, sometimes became obstacles to the change that they wanted to see. For example, in our study, um, well, our study was designed to give more control over the content and processes to the students in the courses. Um, but the researcher facilitators were surprised at how uncomfortable they were at times giving up their role of authority and expertise and control in their classrooms. And on the flip side, the students actually pushed back at times against the call for them to take on that responsibility and control. And instead, they look back to their teachers, researcher, facilitators to take the control back for them. So I think that both teachers and students um, in, have internalized images of what a successful class looks like, um, what a successful teacher or student or education in general looks like. And we often have these unconscious struggles with changing those learned perspectives. So again, looking at, um, looking at the findings that came out of our study, I think, I think what it, it said to me was that as we look at change in music teacher education um, as a complex and multifaceted issue, we need to find ways um, to bring to the surface and to interrogate and to work through our own and our students' internal conflicts with ingrained perceptions of what our roles are or should be um, in those educational spaces that we work in. So can I just ask you, Judy, because <clears throat> Sorry. Um, this resonates with, with one of the things that, uh, that surprised me in the project was namely that the students were saying that they were not used to being asked about their opinion. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, obviously, this, this isn't something that, you know, letting go of control or not being an obstacle to the change you want to affect. Um, it's obviously not done in a brief moment. So is this something we need to practice? 
Um, it's interesting that you use that phrase, that that word practice, because I was I was thinking about that just this morning that um, looking at what happened in our study. So um, I think the students come into our courses without a reference point, without having experienced what it means to have their voices acknowledged, um, their desires and their interests acknowledged. And I think that we as the teacher educators also, like you said, we have no practice in stepping outside of our own comfort zones um, that we have been conditioned to occupy. And um, and so it's scary and risky for all parties involved. It's scary for the students because they've never um, they've never taken that agency before. And again, you know, we can talk about this is not something new. We have to look back to starting with kindergarten education, um, how we ingrain that in them. And certainly in the United States, it's a it's a, a big issue that we're talking about a lot in education now. How we ingrain this subservience into our students from the very earliest ages. But um, so the idea that our students don't have um, haven't had experiences with stepping out of that comfort zone, even if it's not comfortable. Um, and we we ourselves as their as their teachers, uh, it's scary for us to walk into a classroom and say, hmm, I don't know what's going to happen today because me and my students are going to decide together. That can be a very scary or, you know, that ambiguity can be a very scary or unsettling place to live for us as teacher educators. And so I think that um, that the, the work is very similar on both on both ends. Yeah. Ave, do you have something to add to Judy's um, reflections here? Yeah, I certainly do, because I think um, similarly in, in the work package I was I was looking at, um, it also you know, points hugely to the complexity um, of teaching and of learning um, that sometimes we don't, re number one, recognize how complex schools are and the teaching and learning that happens within them. Um, but, but equally, it can be hard for us to understand and indeed plan for that complexity. So I was looking at a work package that, that was investigating multi-professional collaborations so to explain, schools nowadays, you know, it, it, they're no longer just spaces where you have a teacher and students. There, there, are, there are people in and out of classrooms. There are, you know, people inputting and in all sorts of ways. There are multiple stakeholders involved in, in classroom teaching, um, whether you're talking about um, people who are, who are working with special needs in the classroom or their extra supports or the resource teachers or their language teachers or whether um, it's, it's the parents who are involved in different ways. And indeed, what we were looking at was where you have um, so-called outside experts um, entering into partnerships with schools. So this is a very popular way now of delivering um, certain subject areas, uh, in particular music. I mean, another example would be um, physical education, for example. You also have a lot of outsiders who come into classroom settings. But even if we're just to think about music, this, of course, adds yet another layer of complexity um, to a classroom situation. Um, and to, to link with what Judy is saying, it's, it's that issue of control again, isn't it? Because the teacher no longer has full control. The teacher is now entering a partnership in the same way that the children um, in that classroom are equally entering into um, some new partnership. The idea being that 
new learning will happen. You know, these these new partnerships are not just there to fill in time. The idea is, is they're adding something to the classroom. They're adding something to children's learning and indeed to the teacher's learning. But one also hopes to the actual visiting musician's learning. (laughs) But but these are difficult to navigate. Um, And and in in the Future Ed project, um, what was revealed was is that um, great things can happen um, but when you add, the more stakeholders you add into a partnership, of course, the more complicated it gets. So um, to give a, a very specific example, we had a project that involved pre-service teachers, a visiting musician, classroom music teachers, but also researchers. And of course, the children they were working with, um, in this case, young people, teenagers. So within that partnership, we were really trying to examine how um, third spaces were created. Now, this notion of third space um, goes right back to Homi Baba. People like Edward Soya have expanded on it. So it's really thinking about how um, knowledge is disrupted in some way through collaboration, Um, what's known as these hybrid spaces of learning. So it's when different cultures, different ideas, different knowledges interact in the hope in the hope of of transforming knowledge, disrupting knowledge in some way to create new learning opportunities. And what was found was this is very, very difficult to achieve, these third spaces, but it's not that they weren't present. What we found was is, is actually a more appropriate term is to say there are third space moments. And this builds on Elizabeth Ellsworth's work where she talks about places of learning and and hinging moments within places of learning. So in other words, we found that yes, these these moments, these almost like eureka moments of learning where everything connects, where everything comes together and new learning and, and new knowledge is created through interaction, that happened, but it was temporary. It happened for moments. So actually, often we're striving, you know, in, within curriculum and policy, you know, we're often striving for these big transformational um, shifts in how we teach and how we learn. And actually, perhaps what we should be focusing on is recognizing and valuing these really discrete moments of learning where something really special happens, but it may not be the larger macro shift that people are necessarily aiming at. This perhaps uh, connects back to what Judy was saying, because if we practice uh, recognizing those moments, then perhaps it's possible to activate um, a more lasting or at least more frequent uh, appearance of such uh, moments. Because if you only do it once, um, like for a project, um, maybe uh, maybe it would be a more lasting I'm not. I'm just uh, reflecting here that maybe if we were to practice these moments, or if we were to recognize them and trying to facilitate them, if we knew what we were looking for, then perhaps it would be easier to uh, facilitate a more frequent appearance of these moments. I don't know. What do you think? I think. I think that it also. I'm. Um, I, I mean, it was. It was fascinating listening to to you now. Um, Alva, because what I was what I was hearing was that 
perhaps sometimes we're we're imagining ultimate change and utopian existence within the classroom, but that isn't it possible that it's those it's these moments that happen throughout the more normal type of way that we are in the classroom. And and what that also says to me is that even before we make changes, even in our current state of perhaps disillusionment or um, um, uh, frustration, to try and recognize that there are those moments happening now as well. There are third space moments that are happening and, and it there's a lot of things that contribute or encourage that. And some of them we're already doing and, and we need to recognize that. Yeah. And also it's, 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 it's also about what's, what's achievable. And I'm particularly thinking now of, of music teacher education. So I think it's, it's, you know, pre-service teachers going out to schools, it's an extremely difficult time and the expectations are really high <laughs> and the pressure our students put on themselves is, is, is enormous. And I think thinking in this way of, of, well, actually seek out and aim for these, these eureka moments, these moments that where, where something happens, you know, where new learning happens, is much more achievable for our students as well as practicing teachers. I, I would definitely agree because what 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 I find, um, and I, I'd be curious if it's the same by you, is that we in my institution, let's say, um, we have a, a particular um, outlook that we are working through or philosophy um, that we're working through with our students the whole time that they're with us. And then very often they go out into their student teaching experiences and the teachers that they're working with do not jive with that um, with that philosophy or perspective or those values. And it causes and can cause a lot of um, um uncomfortable moments for the students themselves. They feel they feel like they're letting someone down or they feel like they're inadequate. Um, and so if we can give them this idea, like you just said, of um, we're not looking to change the world the minute you step into the classroom, but take what you've learned from us and search out those, like you said, eureka moments or third space moments, I think it could transform the way that they move through their student teaching experience, especially coming from progressive education. So one of the things that uh, we researchers always wonder about is the um, effects or the relevance of our research. And while Future Ed was a project about music and journalist teacher education programs in Norway, uh, aspects of our research may still be interesting for other people and in other contexts. So at the very end of this episode, uh, could you say something briefly about the relevance of the Future Ed Project and findings to your own music teacher education context? Ava? Sure. Um, so um, it, I, I'm in an interesting space with this at the moment. So um, I'm currently involved in, in um, inputting into a new curriculum in Ireland a new arts education curriculum for primary schools. So um, I'm finding myself in those discussions. Um, I keep coming back to all of the different things we found within this project and the ideas. I mean, I, I, one big thing that came out of this project was ideas. 
and new ways of thinking about music education. And I'm trying to, you know, sometimes w- with existing curriculums, it's almost like you have to take a sledgehammer <laughs> to break down um, some of the ideologies to start with that come from it, but also some of the pedagogies that people um, really don't want to let go of. So I'm, I'm keep going back to the future ed findings and the discussions we had um, in, in, in trying to think through change in music teacher education, trying to think because, um, you know, we are no different in Ireland in the types of, of, of um, changes and, and shifts worldwide, you know, that, that, that we all have to grapple with. And it's trying to be responsive to those um, global, I mean, I don't want to keep saying crises, but, you know, changes and, and, and thinking about, well, how can music education respond to this in a meaningful way? I'm trying to bring in those ideas and the spirit of future ed in thinking through what is all of this for anyway? <laughs> so um, for me, it's about a way of thinking and bringing that new way of thinking into um, very practical situations, but also policymaker situations. And then in, in another um with another hat on, of course, with my own students who are, you know, at an undergraduate level who are pre-service teachers and trying to think through, well, how can I bring in some of this learning into my own teaching, which will hopefully impact their teaching in classrooms into the future? And of course, that involves um, thinking in much more flexible ways, you know, again, trying to be responsive to global change, but equally trying to think through the complexity that the Future Ed project revealed and, and, and getting students to recognise um, how to react to such complexity in the classroom and respond to it. Thanks. Judy? Um, yeah, well, uh, like Alva said, um, this, this, this is a global phenomenon that is now happening in the United States for sure. There's, there are major pushes for um, looking at what our, what our curriculum and our processes are like now in music education and making major changes. Um, at my, the institute, in the institute where I teach, um, we, we're devoting this entire year to curriculum reform and to asking questions about what we're doing and how learning is structured about our students and about ourselves. And, and we have weekly meetings where the faculty and the dean and upper administration and students as well are, um, are giving input, um, discussing all the various facets of music education in higher education. And, and I find myself, um, being very thankful that I had three years of an opportunity to start that conversation with international peers and now to bring those, you know, insights from those conversations to the conversations that are happening in the institution where I teach. Um, Hopefully we will come out of it at the end of the year with a lot of great ideas and great changes on the horizon. Um, Personally, um, uh, as a result of working with, like I said, I had worked in um, participatory, participatory action research um, methods a number of times in my own research, but it had always been a research methodology for me, a way to approach research. And since my involvement in the Future Ed Project, I've begun to shift to using 
a participatory action research model as an approach to designing pedagogy in my classroom. So what I mean is I'm more and more constructing course content and activities hand in hand with my students and letting their own interests um, that they bring to the course um, drive what we do in a very iter iterative, iterative way. So it's kind of like I'm, I guess I'm creating moments of ambiguity for myself and moments where I'm forced to relinquish control and also creating space for my students to learn how to navigate both taking more control in their own learning and what will it look like when they are the ones relinquishing control in the educational space with their own students. So kind of like trying to turn the classroom, my classroom, into more participatory action research-based um, type of experience for everyone. So thank you for joining me in this podcast episode and for sharing your insights, Alva Kenny and Judy Lewis. Let me just say again that if you want to know more about the Future Ed Project, Google it. Project name is Music Teacher Education for the Future, or you could also Google Future Ed. And then check out our websites. So that was all from us in today's episode of Musikped Podden, a podcast about music education research from Western Norway University of Applied Sciences. In our next episodes, two new international guests, Martin Fotley and Heidi Parti, will join me in a conversation about, among other things, change in education. And this next episode will be released in two weeks, so please stay tuned. Det var allt för idag från Musikpedpodden. Vi är tillbaka med en ny episode om två veckor. Vi hörs. <laughs>